Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about naive nostalgia and disguised devils. I'm your host for the evening, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Nick Wiley and Charlotte O'Farrell 
our voice talents Trevor Rhines and Felipe Ojeda. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Nick Wiley and it's performed by Trevor Rhines. It's been said that hindsight is 2020. The world you grew up in as a child seldom resembles the one you wake up to in adulthood. Perhaps that's why the joys of nostalgia are so comforting to our mind, body, and soul. But sometimes the memories we hold dear aren't as loving as they once appeared. And without further ado, I present to you, there's a reason you don't revisit your favorite childhood video games, and it's not the graphics. When my mom passed away, I was the sole one responsible for cleaning up her house. I didn't have any siblings, and I didn't know my dad. As far as I knew, he was dead. So it fell on me to handle her affairs. I'm not the most organized person, so I have to say it was a pretty intimidating task. I started with the usual stuff. Getting her affairs in order, taking care of the funeral arrangements, everything you have to do up until the body is buried. After that, it was just a matter of going through all of her stuff, piece by piece. To say my mom was something of a hoarder would be an understatement. Okay, so she was hardly reality TV worthy, but she hung on to a lot of junk. It was overwhelming going through everything, but I won't lie, it felt nice. Each little trinket was a memory. Even the tattered doily she saved brought back warm feelings of my childhood. Halloween's when she would lay it out on an end table where she kept the candy bucket. I spent a few days going through all of it. She had a shed in her backyard, a sizable thing where she kept most of her knickknacks. It was cold in that shed. Holes in its side let in freezing winds. I wore my thick jacket and worked into the night. Just me and the twin sounds of wind and shuffling boxes. Before long, I let my mind wander to the loneliness of my task and the decreasing light outside. I hadn't even realized it was getting so dark, and I kind of freaked myself out thinking about the wind whistling through the holes in the walls. I was more drained than I realized. There were plenty of boxes still to sort through, but only one left on the ground. Determined to finish this one and then enjoy my night, I lifted the lid and was pleasantly surprised. Inside was my old Nintendo and a stack of games. Now, I'm hardly a gamer. I have a current console, and I use it for one series that my friends and I play regularly, but that's about it. As a kid, we didn't have a lot of money, but I remember my mom splurging one Christmas and getting it for me. I only ever owned a few games, but I played the hell out of them. I remember my days bunny-hopping in The Adventure of Link, and was really confused why they changed the gameplay for Legend of Zelda. A friend had to tell me that Adventure of Link actually came second, which blew my mind. 
Link was the main character. Why wouldn't they title the first game after him? I had five, and I remembered them all too well. The warm feeling of sitting in front of our TV coming back to me as I pulled them out of the box and slid them out of their sleeves. That satisfying sound of plastic scraping against plastic, bringing a smile to my face. Final Fantasy, where I spent hours trying to perfect the right party. Adventure Island, which I always replayed just to use the skateboard. Ninja Turtles, which I beat as every character. There were five that I remembered so vividly, so I was surprised when I pulled out the sixth game. The cartridge was black instead of the usual grey, which seems like it should have sparked my memory right then and there, but it didn't. It didn't help that the title on top of the cover had been worn away, leaving me with just the art. As I stared at the image of a sinister figure clutching a tombstone as he rose from an open grave, it came back to me. I used to play this game every day. I enjoyed it because it was kind of dark. It felt like a forbidden thing that I shouldn't have been allowed to play. The whole thing took place at night, and I remembered having to explore a dark castle to kill a demon. Thinking about it, I couldn't recall exactly what made it so dark, because it wasn't like Final Fantasy didn't have skeletons and monsters. That really annoyed me. It's like trying to remember someone's name that you see every day, but it's stuck in the back of your head. For something I had played all the time, it was unacceptable that I couldn't remember more than first entering that imposing castle, let alone its title. Right then, I decided I needed to try it out again. I wanted to relive those glory days and find out what I'd forgotten. In my head, that castle was an imposing sight, fully realized in beautiful graphics. Part of me just wanted to see how much of my memory was tainted by rose-colored glasses. There were two old CRT TVs in the shed, but only the small black one worked. I set it down on a bar stool, plugged it into an extension cord, and ran that along the floor to the only power outlet in the shed. I also hooked the Nintendo up, attached the AV cables to the TV and the controller to the console. Everything powered on just fine. I stared at the fuzzy penguins on the TV, a little joke my mom and I had that the static looked like a bunch of jumbled up fuzzy penguins. I pressed the channel button until I switched to channel 3 and was met with a black screen. I was feeling kind of excited as I pulled the cartridge from its sleeve. It reminded me of Christmas morning, getting a new game each year. My mom was always so happy watching me unwrap it. She always knew just what I wanted because she'd bring home old issues of Nintendo Power from the houses she cleaned, and I'd tell her stories about all the cool games I saw. Of course, I was always behind the times on the new cool games, but I didn't care because I loved what I had, no matter if everyone else had already played them. The lid popped up with a satisfying click. The spring squeaked ever so slightly. The mystery cartridge slid in plastic scraping the sides of the machine, chipset clicking in. I pressed down, pushed the game into position, and hit the reset button. Nothing happened. I was still staring at a black screen. Panic rushed through me. Not a real or earned panic, but panic all the same. The thought that I might not get to play this game and 
have to forever go without being able to remember the title filled me with existential dread. It's hard to let stuff like that go without it nagging at you forever. I breathed and told myself it would work. Pulling out the cartridge and doing the same thing every kid with a Nintendo was all too familiar with. I blew into it. It looks like you're trying to play it like a harmonica, but it gets the job done. Lo and behold, I popped it back in, pressed the reset button, and the screen flashed as the game booted to the title screen. But it was just an image of that imposing castle. How could a game not include its title on the title screen? It didn't make any sense. There was only one option on the main screen. Press start. So I pressed it and was met with an ominous beep. Music began. A bass-filled chiptune like an operatic orchestra. I'd never heard anything like it. Didn't even think it was possible to make something that wasn't high-pitched on an 8-bit system. The screen faded out with a pixelated wash of colors. No text boxes explained my quest. I was just dumped into a forest. A white square sat empty at the top of the screen. My character looked average, just wearing plain pants and a shirt. He looked nothing like the typical fantasy heroes, knights in armor or Belmonts carrying whips. I hit the right arrow and my character started walking while I checked out what my buttons could do. A jump, but B did nothing. My character didn't seem to have an attack. I didn't remember jumping on enemies to kill them, but then again, I didn't remember much of the game at all. For an NES game, the forest was creepy as hell. It started with a low layer of fog across the ground, an impressive effect for the time it was made. Bats flapped toward my character, and he ducked underneath them. The further in he got, the worse the forest became. Skulls hung from trees, candles in their eye sockets burning away. Headless skeletons burst out of the ground. I hit jump, and my character landed on a skeleton, managing only to hurt himself. That obviously wasn't how I killed things. He hopped over to the rest and continued along the path. I was expecting a boss, but the character reached the edge of the screen, went black, and the music stopped. Pretty anticlimactic. But I was in for a treat. This was what I remembered. The music came back, low and moaning like Gregorian chanting as my character approached the massive castle featured on the title screen. The drawbridge lowered as my character approached. I felt uneasy stepping across the wooden bridge. The music stopped, unsettling me as all I could hear was the wind creaking through the holes in the shed and the trees overhead whipping the roof. The screen changed as the character stepped past the gate, and then he was inside the castle greeted by a terrifying digital screech of pain. The noise almost made me stop playing, the high pitch at once grating and frightening at the same time. It felt real, like the developers had digitized an actual recorded scream. But more than that, I could feel the pain behind it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I depressed the right arrow button and continued trudging on. The castle was nicely lit, almost welcoming if it hadn't been for that scream. There were no enemies at all. The level continued scrolling until I hit the staircase, and the game took control and sent my character down the steps. The screen transitioned out into a courtyard full of tombstones. It was a veritable graveyard with a spooky tree that reminded me of the spindly-limbed oak in my mum's backyard. A set of tombstones ripped themselves up from the earth and stacked together into a walking sepulchre. The music roared with a tune fitting for a boss. The walking tombstone monster spewed bones out of my character, which had a startlingly hard pattern to avoid. I could already tell that this was one of those games that didn't go easy on the player. I hoped maybe it was just one of those obnoxiously difficult first bosses, because I didn't really feel like spending all night in the shed. It didn't take me long to get into the swing of things, though. In fact, it felt like muscle memory in action, as I deftly dodged all the bones without taking a single hit to my character. When the first barrage was finished, I noticed a flashing bone left behind on the ground and walked my player over to it. Voila, I had my first weapon, a bone icon neatly filling the white box at the top of the screen. I pressed B and launched a bone in a downward arc. It smacked the tombstone boss, and its body flashed bright white for a moment, satisfyingly marking a successful hit. Each salvo gave me a single bone to hurl at the boss. I missed once when the thing started flashing red and changed its attack pattern, adding a jump into its repertoire. But otherwise, it was a perfect run, and the boss finally crumbled before my character. A grave was left unearthed in the ground. Certainly they wanted to go inside, but my instincts told me to stay put because who would hop into an open grave? But the game didn't give me a choice because it took control of my character again, and he walked over, jumping right into the hole. The screen turned black, and level two appeared on the screen. My character dropped down into a dark cave. Right away I noticed something was very off. I was in a dungeon not all that different from those I had seen before, but the decorations were very advanced and far more detailed than I thought possible. Chains lined the walls, torture instruments too. I had to jump onto a pillory and use it as a platform to reach a higher floor. 
I couldn't shake how dark this felt for an NES game. Robed men carrying whips charged at my character. I had to duck beneath their attacks and then jump over their heads to continue. My character barged through a door and I continued on as normal. Candles lighting the dungeon walls grew dimmer with each passing step. There were dark splotches of purple on the walls that I could barely make out, which I took to be an artistic choice to add depth to the otherwise blue tones of the dungeon. I waited, jumping in place like I usually did whenever I had to wait for a game to continue. Then everything faded to black except my character. The boss appeared faintly at first, blinking into existence. Then he flashed onto the screen, fully visible and horrific. Despite the pixel art, I could still tell that this giant man was supposed to be an executioner. He was covered in bloodstains and wore a black hood. A tremendous axe was in his hands, dripping with little red pixels. The background came back on screen, and my eyes went wide. Even by today's video game standards, this wasn't tame. There were severed heads and viscera everywhere, gutted bodies hanging up on chains. One person was still alive, his legs missing, his torso disemboweled, and yet I saw his sprite streaming and clawing towards the screen as if begging for me to help him. The executioner laughed. I was in a bit of a daze and took some hits from the boss, but I got his pattern down quickly. I had to run forward whenever he jumped and slammed his axe down to get underneath the weapon. Just like the tombstone boss, each impact of the axe would create a flashing stone pickup on screen that I could throw at the executioner. It only took six hits to kill him, and the whirlwind attack he added when he was close to death was dodged simply by ducking. My character walked off screen and text flashed again on a black background, telling me I was on level three. It looked like I was still in the dungeon, but things had gone from bad to worse. I realized now that those purple blotches I thought were shadowed bricks were bloodstains. The torture devices were filled with squirming people, their digitized voices begging for release. The enemies looked like more of the same torturers, but dressed in leather armor instead of robes. However, I soon realized that their outfits were scandalously made of straps and they appeared to have their genitals exposed as well as they could be by 8-bit graphics. Whenever one of the enemies approached me, he would whip the victim if there was a torture victim between him and my character. Chunks of flesh would break off in showers of blood, and little pixels representing their skin landed on the ground. Exposed bone would be left behind from their flens skin. I accidentally hit B when I meant to jump, taking a hit from a guard as he ran into me. Then I realized a bone icon filled the weapon square. The torture victim my character was standing in front of had a hole in their leg where their femur used to be. I almost felt disgusted when I realized I had been the one to rip it out. I kept going, throwing the bone at one point, just wanting to get it out of my character's hand. I needed to finish this level. I needed to see how far this game went. I couldn't imagine it getting much worse, yet I was starting to remember bits and pieces here and there. The dungeon seemed familiar, and I even thought maybe I remembered the torture victims, but my young mind hadn't processed what was happening or how terrible it was. What I found most alarming 
was the thought that my mom would have allowed me to play such a game. It took me longer than it should have to make it out of the dungeon. I was distracted by the sprites actively being tortured in the background art, being stretched out on wheels or burned alive or shoved into Iron Maidens. But I got through it all and reached the end of level three, grateful that there wasn't a boss waiting for me. What was there so much worse. Level four started with a pair of sprites, two flesh-toned characters I took to be humans, but one was massive. The giant one was thrusting into the smaller character. I retched in disgust as the big creature stepped away from the small one, leaving it a pile of gore. It laughed and ran away, and I finally had enough. I turned the machine off angrily. It was too much for me. It went beyond the realm of a video game and into pure tastelessness. I flicked the light switch and went to the house. I needed to calm down a little bit. My adrenaline was pumping. I felt like a little kid seeing something completely forbidden. It was probably how I felt when I actually had been a kid playing that garbage game. I wanted to find out what it was called, once and for all. After having a drink, I got online and started doing a search. I tried maybe three dozen permutations of search terms, anything I could think of to describe the game or the cover art, but nothing came up. I'd found stuff this way before, but no matter how many details I gave, nothing came up that matched. I would get Castlevania or games like that, articles about games banned for violence and sex, but nothing similar to what I had just played. It was like the game didn't exist. That got me thinking that I had something special on my hands. Maybe it was greed, but if this game was one of a kind, some ultra-rare cartridge that next to no one knew about, I could make some decent money to help pay for all my mom's expenses. I saw a picture of us together on her mantle and smiled at. I never realized how odd it seemed that the corner of the picture looked like it was missing someone. Maybe an hour passed, and I returned to the shed to retrieve the game. I stepped inside and flipped the lights on. The TV came on instantly. Weirdly enough, the NES did too, without me touching anything. The game booted to the start screen. I stepped over to turn the machine off, but before I could touch the controller, there was the same ominous beep I had heard when pressing the start button, and the game began. I thought that maybe it was playing a demo, like how a lot of those older games used to do. The problem with that theory was that the character on screen wasn't moving. He just stood there in his yellow shirt and blue pants right where I had left him. Curiosity forced my hand, and I picked up the controller. As I expected, this level got even worse. The torture became sexual in nature, sprites in the background forcing themselves on others in masses of pixelated flesh. The enemies appeared to be nude women bound in bondage gear. Their limbs twisted so that all they could do was walk towards me and make anguished groaning noises beneath their masks. About halfway through the level, I was given a whip and used it to attack the bondage women, but it had the opposite effect than what I expected. The enemies squirmed and writhed when the whip attacked them, then just kept coming even as their sprites reddened with blood. I jumped and dodged the rest of the way, trying to ignore what I saw in the background and just focusing on reaching the end. A boss awaited me, 
the same big man from the beginning of the level. He was fast and constantly laughing every time he charged my character. He would lash out with a whip occasionally just to throw me off. I dodged, but no weapons ever appeared after a minute of this. The more I stared, the more I noticed my character. It was odd how unremarkable he was for a video game character. Brown hair, yellow t-shirt, blue pants. I looked down. It was actually exactly what I was wearing. In my distraction, I got rammed by the boss, but this wasn't a normal encounter. Normally, my character would flash, bounce back, and then be controllable again. When he touched me, the boss grabbed me and pushed me over this time. I lunged forward and turned off the console just in time to avoid the image on the screen. I breathed a sigh, utterly traumatized. Then the game came back. I had been staring at a black screen. Now my character was standing there like nothing had happened, being laughed at, and the boss's music was coming through the TV's tiny speakers. I leaned forward and turned off the TV. The button clicked beneath my finger, and the picture faded away. I couldn't believe my eyes, but the TV turned back on too. I told myself it had to be something up with the wiring. There was no other explanation. This time, I had a weapon in my hands. I noticed my health had a sliver left. Acting quickly, I pounded the B button, throwing daggers at the boss until he died. It was over, and the game moved on to the next level. But I'd had enough. I hit the power button on the console, but the light remained on no matter how many times I pressed it. I did the same to the TV, but it wouldn't turn off. I tried unplugging them both, but they stayed on. By this point, I was breathing heavily and completely freaked out. I pulled the AV cables out of the TV, hoping that would stop it. Certainly there was no way for the console to display its image on the TV if no cables were connected. No such logic there. I got up and switched off the power to the shed. The lights turned off and I felt a rush of relief for a moment. But I saw the screens glow out of the corner of my eye and knew it was still on. Angry now, I popped open the lid and pressed down the cartridge, fully willing to just rip the thing out. But the mechanism wouldn't release. It was completely stuck. That was fine. I could just leave it on and let it sit. I didn't have to play. Except my character started moving even though I wasn't touching anything. I watched him travel through a short dungeon corridor, expecting horrible things. Surprisingly, my character reached the end where a bright light was shining. He stepped through and was back outside. I wanted to see what was coming next. Maybe it was a stupid idea, but I picked up the controller. It looked like the start of the game, but I assumed it was a new area. I didn't walk far before I approached a house. Not a medieval house, but just an average modern suburban home. I grew up in a house like that, a house like my mom's. In fact, I was at that house right now. I walked to the door and went inside. It wasn't just like my mom's house. It was her house. The walls were painted the same, the furniture was the same. I swear there was a picture on the mantle that even looked like the two of us together. There were no enemies as I explored the living room. I noticed toys scattered on the floor, trucks and blocks. The TV was on, playing fuzzy penguins. The toys moved as I walked through them, kicking them out of the way. 
As I approached the DV, a dark shadow on the wall behind it twisted and moved until it turned into the shape of a dark figure with curved horns and sharp claws. The shape skittered along the wall, then jumped out towards me, crushing the toys on the ground. I ran, fearing for my life. It was artificial, but I felt like I was in real danger. The screen changed, and I entered the bedroom. It was a child's bedroom, walls papered with dinosaurs, more toys scattered across the ground. One toy stood out in particular, a teddy bear with its head ripped off. I looked over my shoulder at the oak cardboard box of stuffed animals I had sorted through earlier that evening. My ripped-apart bear sat just on edge, barely in my view. I shook and looked back at the TV. As I approached the virtual bear, the toy lifted off the ground, the body first and then the head. The head twirled around in the air for a moment and then reattached itself. A moment later, the bear grew in size, or maybe I shrunk. The shadow creature's claws burst out of its hands, horns ripping through the top of its head. It chased me back the way I had come. The screen transitioned, not to the living room this time, but to a hallway. I found myself walking towards an open doorway. Outside, a female sprite was crouched down and crying, her face in her hands. I thought this was odd after everything else I had seen. In fact, the whole thing didn't make sense, but at the time, I wasn't really thinking about it. I just braced myself and entered the room. It was a bedroom, darkened save for a bolt of lightning coming from outside the window. The flash of lightning illuminated the shadow figure sitting sullenly on the bed. The room returned to darkness, and then another bolt filled it with lasting light. This time the shadow took on the shape of a man, completely normal-looking. He looked up at my character, who was looking more and more like me by the second. I could tell the boss was glaring at me, even composed of simple pixels. He threw down a glass bottle which broke and then stood. I tried to move, but my sprite was frozen in place just like I was as I watched the boss approach. I was definitely smaller than before and shrinking still, becoming no taller than a child. I watched as the boss removed a belt from his pants and held it tightly in his fist like a whip. He approached me, appearing to reach for the front of his pants. I wasn't sure if it was to hold them up or pull them down. Still frozen, unable to think, unable to breathe, I watched in horror as the boss grabbed me and the screen faded to black. A tear ran down my cheek as I listened to the sound effects playing in the background. The crack of a belt and a child crying. The darkness faded and I realized I had control again. The boss was sitting on the bed facing away from me. I had a knife in my hand. I took a step forward clenched my teeth, and pressed the B button as hard as I could, relishing it as the knife flew into the boss's back and killed him in one hit. He fell to the ground, blood spilling across the floor. The screen faded to black, and credits began to roll. Within moments, the background changed to the cemetery from the beginning of the game. Above them, the crooked tree loomed ominously, a crow nestled in it. Someone was digging. It was the crying woman, 
and she was shoveling dirt out of an unmarked grave as the boss lay dead beside it. I tried to make sense of the words on screen, but the names were garbled nonsense. I didn't care about solving this mystery anymore. My trembling hand reached for the power button on the console. This time, the thing turned off and stayed off. I pulled the cartridge out as quickly as I could, putting it in its sleeve and shoving it away in the nearest box I could find. I packed the NES in with my other games and left the shed with the box in my hands. I couldn't get away from that shed fast enough. As I stepped outside, walking towards the house and the light from the back porch, I stopped by the old spindly oak tree, dead and missing all its leaves. I stared at the ground by its base, watching and waiting as if I expected something to happen. I closed my eyes, my whole body shivering, and then ran into the house. I still never learned the name of that game. I stopped looking after that night. I never opened the box I put it in again, just donated the whole thing. Playing that game reminded me that there were some memories better left buried. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed. There's a reason you don't revisit your favorite childhood video games, and it's not the graphics. As written by Nick Wiley and voiced by Trevor Rines. Author Nick Wiley's work can be found on Reddit under the name Nick TBA. Our second tale of the evening is written by Charlotte O'Farrell and performed by Felipe Ojeda. This second tale kicks off our Halloween event. That's right, folks. This week starts the Halloween season here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Now, without further ado, I present to you The Godforsaken. The Godforsaken. Narrated by Felipe Ojeda. When I was a kid, I'd look the devil in the eye. I haven't told many people that. They think I've lost my mind. I can even see from your reaction that you're worried for my sanity. But it's a hill I'll die on. At the age of seven, I came face to face with evil incarnate. And you'll never hear me say otherwise. Boats are my passion in life. They are now and they were then. My family took boating holidays every summer, sailing up rivers and canals. We spent a lot of time in the sea and exploring our local rivers on the weekends. I saw some of the most beautiful cities in the world from the perspective 99% of tourists never think to get. So I got used to marinas. In my experience, they tend to have a carnival atmosphere in summers and be creepy as all hell in the winters. 
I've lived on a houseboat all my adult life, and sometimes I get so sick of the dark atmosphere during the colder months, I check myself into a cheap city hotel for a few nights, just for some human interaction. Those sterile, weirdly lit corridors seem oddly comforting when you've been looking out into empty hobby boats and the inky black waters for the last few weeks. But you don't want to hear about all that. You want to hear about the time I came face to face with the devil. You probably want to tell me there's no such thing, that he's a metaphor or an idea. And my response? Fuck you. I saw him. The year I turned seven, there was an unseasonably warm October. True to form, my family took the opportunity to spend the weekend boating up and down the canals. On that Saturday night, Halloween as it happens, we had stopped at the marinas for our pub meal, then settled down for the night. My parents didn't usually let us go out unsupervised, especially when we were away from home. But who knows why they relented that night. Maybe they felt a bit sorry for us kids being away from home on Halloween. Maybe we wore them down with constant whining. Perhaps they needed a bit of alone time, or the wine from the meal had made them a little less cautious. Whatever the reason, they agreed to let the three of us, myself, my sister, and our younger brother, go trick-or-treating. Their only rule was that we stayed within a few meters of the barge we were staying on. We could knock on nearby houses to see if anyone was home on the other boats, but that was it. And if we weren't back by sunset, we'd never be allowed out again. We didn't have any Halloween costumes, so we had to improvise. I cut holes in a sheet to make the ultimate low-effort Halloween ghost outfit. My sister emptied some food supplies out of the cardboard boxes we'd brought along and used her crayon to turn them into a half-decent robot costume. Our brother got himself a little bunny outfit he liked to wear everywhere. Not very scary, but cute enough to be worth a few extra sweets, we thought. We were the only kids around. Even back then, families like ours, who were always on the waterways, were kind of rare. But it was alright. More treats for us. We went from house to house, getting a decent hit rate. By the time we got back to the marina, we had two and a half shopping bags full of candy between us. Enough to give a sugar rush that lasted days, as is customary after Halloween. I remember knocking at the boats we could see we lived in. We walked past the ones that were just stored there until summer. A few families and couples appeared. Most had chocolates. The ones that didn't gave us apples instead. And my sister and I were old enough to keep our disappointments hidden. Our brother wasn't quite so restrained, so we left before he could complain too much. Then we saw it. A boat we hadn't seen before. On the left at the very edge of the Morena's pier. It was painted in such drab colors that it almost blended in with the night. Perhaps it's my memory playing tricks on me. But when I visualize it, it almost seemed to be sucking in the light from nearby streets and the Morena lighting. Like a small black hole devouring everything around it. Let's not go there, I said quietly. I didn't plan to say that. I wouldn't have been able to articulate why, but I felt it in my gut. My sister agreed and we turned to move away, but it was too late. Our brother was already toddling toward the boat, arms outstretched, his costume bunny ears chelting up and down with each step. We gave chase, but by the time we caught up to him, 
We were standing outside the creepy boat we didn't recognize. I read the name printed on the side in jagged, hastily painted letters. The Godforsaken. Even as a kid, that struck me as odd. I was used to boats having weird names like the Sleepy Otter or the Retirement Dream. But mixed with the weird vibe of the barge, the name freaked me out. No, let's go back, my sister said, scooping up my brother in her arms. As we left to move back to our pier, I made the mistake of looking back, straight into the boat's window, and something was looking back at me. I could only compare it to being shot through the eyes. The whole thing lasted maybe two seconds, but it seared on my memory. There were glowing red eyes, small but too far apart to be human, but it wasn't how they looked that stuck in my head for decades. It was the hatred within them. Hatred so raw and visceral that it was a physical force boring into my head. It sent a shock through my whole body, flooding me with disgust and terror. I don't remember much of the run back to our houseboat. Later, my sister told me that she'd never seen me move so fast. After trying in vain to coax me out for over an hour, my parents decided I must have seen a Halloween costume that scared me. My sister told them we'd seen a creepy boat, but no, there hadn't been anyone on it. I recall running to my room, burrowing under the covers, and spending several hours in silence, rocking back and forth. My parents vowed to never let us trick-or-treat again, and that was fine by me. I never wanted anything to do for Halloween since. In the morning, when I plucked up the courage to check... I saw with great relief that the Godforsaken had gone, and I didn't see it again for 20 years when I caught a glimpse of it in the background of a footage of a massacre. Humans have a great talent for making ourselves believe what we need to survive. We can rewrite memories, retool our thinking, and rewire our entire worldview whenever it becomes convenient to do so or if we need to do it so we can keep trudging through life. Kids' memories are just as reliable as adults, maybe even more since kids aren't bogged down with many preconceptions yet. And that's what I did with my Halloween experience at the Morena. Over the years, I told myself that I was mistaken, though I never quite managed to make myself believe it deep down. But I'd buried the trauma somewhere, and that allowed me to move on with my life. As an adult, I chose to live on a houseboat. There are plenty of marinas in this country to make your temporary home. So many canals and rivers to explore. I was used to boating from my upbringing. And honestly, why spend thousands tying yourself down to one geographical spot? I was lucky to have the freedom. My parents were dead, and my siblings lived overseas so there were no ties, but I never married. I never had kids. I was alone in the world, just me and my boat and endless freedom. When I heard about the Morena massacre on the radio three years ago, my blood ran cold. I went into shock, I suppose. Certain phrases from the bulletin jumped out at me. Twelve killed, attackers not known, brutal mutilation of the bodies, it was disgusting. This sort of thing didn't happen, at least not here. 
and not in the quiet suburban marina I had spent countless nights in myself. I didn't sleep that night. At the crack of dawn, I called it quits and went for a stroll to clear my head. A nearby shop was opening, and the newspapers were already revealing the very gory details of the tragedy. Emblazoned across the front of the tabloids was a blown-up grainy image from the security camera. It showed the marina, dimly lit by lamps, with five boats docked there. The headline screamed, The Last Photo. Awful, isn't it? said the shopkeeper casually. I grunted in agreement and bought a copy of the paper. When I got back to my boat, I read through the article. Something about the massacre made me keep reading on. It wasn't just my connection to the marina. When I read that, police are looking for an unidentified boat that was captured in the footage. A chill went through me. My stomach dropped when I spotted it. Grainy in the image, but unmistakable. Even after all these years, the godforsaken. Even in the picture, it gave me creeps to look at. The news story didn't dwell on it, and even implied the police were interested in speaking to people on the boat as witnesses, not suspects. But I knew. I always knew. I'd love to say I did the heroic thing and went hunting for the godforsaken. But cool though that would have been, it would have been suicide. I still remember the feeling of those eyes glaring into me. How it affected my whole body. No way was I going chasing that. The Morena Massacre signaled the end of the carefree boating life for me. I settled down, limiting my travels mostly to a few local city marinas and their canals, and downsized to a smaller boat. I even bought a little apartment with the money I made from selling the bigger houseboat. It felt odd to be back on land again, my life adjusting to being a little more orthodox. But I could never give it up entirely. So I met a comfy halfway and spent most of my summers boating and most of my winters on land. And once again, I battled the godforsaken down into my subconscious, trying to fight off the unwanted thoughts about it. I still double-checked for it every time I sailed into a new marina and kept my boat's curtains closed at night. Though, I'd learned my lesson about walking around unknown boats after sundown. That approach worked well for me until last night, when the godforsaken appeared in the mooring next to mine. I didn't even feel very surprised when I finally saw it. I suppose, deep down, I'd been expecting this since the first time I saw it, back on that long-ago Halloween night. I'd never get away. It had just been a matter of time for when that creature would find me. The devil, you see, doesn't give up once he's laid his eyes on you. There's only going to be one winner there. As if pulled by an unseen force, I walked out into the coldness of the night. All of the other boats were gone. Maybe they'd left in the night, or maybe we were in some alternate dimension. I don't think time and space quite work the same here. I've been waiting for you, I heard. Perhaps the devil spoke to me, directly into my thoughts. Perhaps I imagined it. I knew you'd come, I replied quietly. I took some long, 
deep breaths. God, it was a crisp evening. I looked up at the stars and enjoyed my last glance at the moon. Why do we appreciate those small things when we know they're about to be taken away from us? I thought about running, but that force still held me in place. Its grip on me stronger than iron. Slowly, I walked across the wooden boards of the marina and toward the godforsaken. A strange peace came over me and I stepped inside. Something is refreshing about facing your fears, even when you know they're about to tear your soul to pieces. Once again, I looked the devil in the eye. If I explained what happened when we locked eyes, your sanity wouldn't be able to handle it. Mine couldn't. Suppose you can imagine every terrible thing in the universe. In that case, every atrocity, every iota of hatred, every injustice, all condensed into one cold, terrifying glance and then directed at a single person. That's what happened. No mortal can survive that. I'm a shell of a person, my soul hollowed out, replaced with darkness and decay. Death would have been a kinder end. I'm now the captain of the Godforsaken. He chooses one every century or so, largely at random, it seems. Every moment of what passes for my life is agony. I feel only hatred, thirst for blood, and pain. I'm his victim until he decides to do away with me entirely. But there's no point begging for that. One glance into his essence was enough to tell me that he doesn't have empathy. So if you see us floating along a river near you, you do best to run. Run as fast as your legs can carry you. But know that if either of us have seen you, it's too late. You'll be in my shoes one of these days, or killed outright. It might be hours, days, weeks, or years before he comes for you. But you won't escape. You better hope it's a quick death. Because if you end up like me, you'll wish with all your soul that you've never been born. I hope you enjoyed The Godforsaken, as written by Charlotte O'Farrell and performed by Felipe Ojeda. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. And it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week 
when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.